Let's put our hands together and welcome our lead pastor, Pastor Joe Source. So, so it's 60 and better, huh, Brian? Yeah. You think I could sneak in? I said to my wife yesterday, we were talking about this event coming up, um, and I said, we have to go now. <laughs> Years ago, we weren't quite there in that age group yet. So we would once in a while sneak in, and, but I said, now we can't get away. We got to go. And so those of you that have fallen in that category, please come. And please, please invite someone, OK? It's going to be an awesome time. Obviously, there's going to be food, OK? <laughs> but we've got some other pretty cool things uh, designed for that day. And um, we really want to um, stir up our seniors. It was a time we had a very, very, very active senior Bible study here going on for, for many, many years, for over a decade. And it was probably 50, 60 individuals that show up. And uh, it was a great group. And then the pandemic hit, and that kind of everything scattered. And so we want to regather everyone. Amen? Amen. 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 So you young adults, you have your good time. You, we bought you a beautiful espresso machine, really nice one. Because you, know, you can't have young adults without having an espresso machine. So awesome. Listen, I became very sensitive to this word. Brian, you used it quite a few times this morning. Uh, this word identity. Now, this is the series that we're starting today. I just want to give you some heads up. This series, in this series, I am not going to spend a lot of, no, how can I put this nice? This series is not in response to a lot of the craziness that's going on in our society right now. I don't know, unless you live in a cave, do um, you realize it, it, there's so much confusion today? So much confusion, okay? And, and we know where the root of it's coming from. It doesn't come from God. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace and order, okay? But I know when I first got born again, and what's today's date? 24th? Tomorrow will be 38 years that I gave my life to the Lord. Uh, let, me, let me retract that statement. It'd be 38 years that God finally got a hold of me, put it that way. And, um, but I noticed this, and one of the first things that I talked to my pastor at that time about was like, you know, because I came out of a very, very devout Italian Catholic background. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It, 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 you're really Catholic if you're either Irish or Italian, okay, <laughs> or Polish, okay? So I came out of that background. That's pretty much the only background I knew. And the only background that I could identify with is that word again, okay? But when I came into this whole born-again experience of biblical Christianity, um, I, I had a meeting with my pastor one time who, that's a whole other story. Um, and I said to him, I'm not following this, you know, where did this come from? Like, all, I, all I've known my whole life is Catholic churches and, you know, and I'm not saying anything against Catholicism. I'm grateful for my Catholic background, okay? Because some of you were brought up with no background whatsoever, church, and some of you were brought up in denominations where they told you that, well, you know, we think God's real, but he really doesn't, not active today, and he doesn't really do miracles. No, we knew God was real, Amen. okay? Uh, so I thank God for my Catholic roots. But I, I said to him, um, where does this, like, who are we? Like, where, do we, where did this all come from? 
And he began to, and he made a statement that I never, never forgot. He began to explain the whole thing. He said, no, we're not new on the scene. We're back on the scene. Amen. Okay, and then I understood, okay, that this stretches back to the early church, the way the early church functioned, okay, before man got involved and created all these denominations and all this other kind of stuff. And, um, so, so it started me on the path of identifying more with the scriptures and less with tradition, less with man's version of, of, of Christianity. And so I started to see that over the years, because I would identify with what the scriptures said about us, I'm talking about uh, just mankind in general, I started to realize that things start to change. Okay, you start sensing a stability. You start sensing a connection to your roots. Amen. Amen? Uh, there's less confusion about who God is, who I am, and who I am in relationship to him. So what I'm saying to you is this. We're going to go through some really bottom, basic, rock-solid doctrine as it pertains in the scriptures in forming our identity. Now, I think this is extremely important right now. Because again, I will go back to this fact. There is so much confusion about identity in our society today. There are some people actually losing their minds. It's creating a confusion. It's creating a uncertainty. And listen to me, we're going to track that right back to the very roots when that first started. Amen? Amen? Amen. Uh, are, you, are you ready for this? Yes. All right. Because we're going to discover some things that might overturn your mindset may overturn your perspective of life. It certainly may overturn uh, your perspective of God. Amen? Amen? All right, so let's go back to the very, very beginning. And so if we're going to go back to the very, very beginning, where are we going? Genesis. Genesis, the book of beginnings, okay? And I will tell you this, because people say, have this question over the years, Pastor, how do I know, how do I know if something that I'm being taught or something that I'm hearing is scripturally accurate? Every doctrine that is scripturally true, has got to have its roots in the book of Genesis. If, it, if you can't find it in the book of Genesis, throw it away, okay? Because it is the book of beginnings. It's the book of prototypes. It's the book of introduction. And so everything that follows through in the rest of the scripture has its roots in the book of Genesis. I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in the book of Genesis. Um, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1 after that. So just follow me with, please, if you don't have a Bible, if you have your phone uh, app there, Bible app or our app, you can go to that or just look at the screens, but please follow me. Amen. Genesis chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, and I'll stop right there because as soon as you start reading this stuff, you start feeling on the inside that there's people going, what do you mean the serpent said? Snakes can't talk. You're right. They can't talk now. But creation, the original creation, was extremely different than what you and I are experiencing now. We're living in the garbage dump of creation. So how could you say that, Pastor? There's so many beautiful things in this world. Yeah, yeah, you go to Grand Canyon, it's spectacular, all this other stuff. But the world that you and I live in right now doesn't even have any resemblance to the original creation before the flood, before sin came into the world, before everything changed. And we're going to see that, okay? Um, you say, well, serpents couldn't, couldn't speak. Well, it says here, we're going to see it uh, at some point, that 
at one point, a serpent didn't crawl on, its, on the ground either because the punishment that came from God to the serpent for being used by Satan was from this point forward, you're going to crawl on the ground. So obviously, this snake or serpent, whatever it was, did not crawl on the ground but had the ability to walk, okay? Again, don't let that stumble you. We're talking about an age of man's history that was very different than the world that we live in right now. Amen? Amen. All right. So, and the serpent said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, listen closely, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, if you go back to the original command that God gave to Adam, he never said you can't touch it. He just said, don't eat it. So when she said, now I'm being very particular about this because I want you to see something. Because the very first mention of Satan in the Bible is he's presented in his truest of colors. A liar, a deceiver, a seducer. Now, he picks up on things. So when he heard Eve say, that God said not to touch it, he knew immediately, this is the one I'm going after because she does not really know the command that came from God. Amen. You're listening? Yeah. This is the reason why it is extremely important for you as a believer. And if you've not even come to that place yet of being a believer, it's still extremely important that you get to know the word of God for yourself so that you're not depending on another voice to, to bring an accusation, to bring an insinuation, which is exactly what we're going to see play out here. So the, if, you, if it was possible, the, the devil's ears went, this is the one I'm going after. She doesn't really know the truth, okay? So watch what happens. And the woman said, you may, you may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but we can't just touch it. Verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, and I could just hear that, that slick that voice, you, sh you will not surely die, for God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. That's true. And we're going to see that that actually happened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's the problem. Again, we're talking about identity. She did not know her identity and was not rock solid in it. Why? Because when the devil said, he knows you're going to be just like him, she should have said, excuse me, I am already like him. Amen. Amen. The lies, the seducing. You shall not surely die, for God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So this very first mention of Satan is of a deceiver. And what's his goal? And I'm telling you, I'm not just going to say this because it sounds, I hate even say because it, it sounds cliche-ish. The devil from the very beginning of time and from the very beginning of his experience with mankind, has been after one thing, identity theft. Because if he can get us off who God says we are, if he can get us off how God sees us, then he can manipulate us. He can pervert everything about our lives. He can put us in a place where, where the purpose that God originally had planned for us is totally incomplete, unfulfilled, and we just waste our lives on this earth. Because, you know, when you really come down to it, the devil will try to stop you from coming into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. 
But once you're a believer and once you've, you've said that prayer, once you've made that declaration of faith, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you went to the cross on, uh, on my behalf. I believe that your blood cleansed me from sin. I believe that God raised you from the dead. Once you make that declaration and your spirit comes alive unto God and now your eternal destination is secure, he can't stop you from going to heaven. But he will try to do the next best thing. <coughs> he will try to get you completely disconnected from your purpose here on earth. Because right. I don't know whether you realize it or not, Jesus is not on the earth anymore. You know that, right? right. How many people know Jesus is not on the earth anymore? Where is he? In He's in heaven. What's he doing? Seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Okay? So who's carrying on the mission here? The Holy Ghost through who? Us. us. So if he can get you, to do exactly what he, what he was successful with Eve, get her confused, get her off of her identity, get her, getting her to question God and his intentions, you will live and die. You'll go to heaven, but you will live and die never having any sense of fulfillment, any sense of contentment, any sense of purpose. You will not affect anybody else's life. You will have lived and died and pretty much left no remnant of your life on this earth. You know, we talk about this once in a while. You go to cemetery, and you see in the stones, there's two dates. The date of the birth, and then there's what? A dash, and then the date of, of when the person passes. That dash is the most important thing on that stone. That dash either is going to represent a life that was purposeful, a life that was impacting, a life that made a difference in other people's lives, or a life of no consequence having accomplished nothing. I don't know about you, but when I get there, I want to hear, Joe, welcome, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. Amen? I know you want to hear the same thing. Okay, so using the power of suggestion, the enemy persuades Eve that her God is not exactly who she thought he was. His accusation, God has been withholding something very important from you. Therefore, his insinuation was that she was not complete. Now, that is in direct conflict with a statement that God made, which we're going to go over in a few minutes. Um, yeah, let's hold on to that. Let's hold on to that. So he instills in her, let me put it this way. I think this is an even better way to describe it. He ignites in her this idea that she's not complete that she's lacking something, that she doesn't have her act together. And so you and I, all of mankind from that moment, has been on this search to find out what's going to make us complete, what's going to make us feel fulfilled. And, and the trouble is, for the most part, the great majority of mankind has been looking in all the wrong places all throughout history, okay? So watch this now. He insinuated that she's not complete, she's lacking, she does not measure up. To this day, mankind is preoccupied with this concept of lack. Think, think about your own life. Don't raise your hands. Don't grunt. Don't burp. Don't do anything. Our thoughts, for the most part, unless we train our mind, our thoughts usually go to what I don't have, what I am not, what I wish I had, and how come you have it and I don't? 
And there's never been a point in history that this is true greater than now. We have entire, entire societies. How can I even explain this? That their entire political philosophy, the philosophy of life is what I don't have, what I wish I had, uh, and why do you have it and I don't? Are you listening to me? That is dangerous because that's not, God how, that's not how God created us. In the garden, you say, okay, well, it's just a myth. Whatever you want to believe. I don't believe it was a myth. I believe it's true. I believe it's factual. Because in the garden, God created an environment where mankind would thrive, not just survive. And, and, and instead, we have this mindset, well, mankind, look at what we've done in the world. Look at what we, No, no, no. We, we've degenerated from that point. Because they were so completely caught up in the presence of God, they had no concept of lack. They, they believed they had everything they needed. They were at peace with each other. They were at peace with nature. Everything is thriving. Everything is, is just, just magnifying the glory of God. And then sin comes into the world because of a suggestion. And that suggestion and accusation was after her identity. Don't forget that. Now watch. This thought became such an obsession that so much so that it drove her to do the unthinkable, to defy God Almighty. Verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, that's where the enemy always gets us, either, in, either from what we see or what we hear, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of his fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her and ate, and that's significant. Okay, because it was Adam that first received the command from God. You can eat of everything here. You can partake of everything that's in this, in this garden, in this environment. Just do not eat from that tree. Don't do it. He knew that, but yet he joined in with her. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and look at, what, look at the result of this, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Cute Sunday school story, Pastor. But you're not grasping the reality of what's gone on here. You got to look beneath the surface. Their eyes were open and they knew they were naked, which tells us that before this time, they had no concept of self. Are you getting this? They were so absorbed with God. They were so complete in his presence. They never gave a thought to themselves. They had no idea of their physical condition until sin came into it. Eyes are open. What's the first thing that happens? They become, they become less God-conscious and become more self-conscious. We've been suffering with this <laughs> since that moment. Some more than others. Some people learn to deal with it in certain ways. Other people, this self-consciousness just cripples them. I was one of those. Crippled, crippled. Crippled by what you thought, crippled by what people thought, crippled by, by the thought of somebody's looking at me, somebody's judging me, somebody's assessing me, somebody thinks I'm an idiot, somebody thinks I'm ugly, somebody thinks I'm whatever, paralyzed. And it all goes back to this one thing where I, our corporate identity as a race of beings was totally twisted and totally impacted. How do we cure this? This is why I'm teaching this series. 
the more we come back to that place of being totally absorbed in the presence of God, totally aware of him, his personality, his character, his promises, how he's revealed himself throughout the word of God, the less self-conscious we become. And the less self-conscious we become, the more God-conscious we become, the more God-conscious we become, the more we're able to walk out the individual specific plan that he has for each one of our lives. It is so sad when a person lives and dies an entire life and, and, and at, the end of, at the end of life just feels frustrated because they never got to accomplish any of the things that they had in their heart. And that's not God's plan for us, church. Jesus said, I've come to give them life and give it to them more abundantly, super abundantly. Amen. He said that the thief, the enemy comes to rob, kill, destroy. He said, but I've come that they may have life in the original language in super abundance. Okay. Super abundance means I am fulfilling the plan that God has for my life. Superabundance means I'm living above the circumstance, not under the circumstance. Superabundance means there is a sense of fulfillment in my life because I know that I stepped into what God has for me. Amen? Amen. And that's what the Lord wants for every single one of us. Amen? Could you imagine if mankind became content in the things of God, content in God's plan for themselves? How much, how much unrest would disappear? How much hatred would disappear? How much, how much the struggles and turmoil and upheaval? Because everybody be content in what God has for them, not striving for what someone else has, not, not jealous because you may have something that I don't have yet, or you may have accomplished something that I didn't get to accomplish because now it doesn't bother me and I could care less about it. Why? Because I'm walking in the plan that God has for me. Ephesians 2.10, remember that, for we are his workmanship. We are his custom-crafted, one-of-a-kind masterpiece, preordained by God to do good works, which he planned before the foundations of the earth. When you walk in that kind of contentment, you don't care that somebody else has something you don't have. You don't care that somebody else has got a six-bedroom house when you're living in a two-bedroom apartment. You, you know, none of that stuff bothers you anymore. You're secure in who you are. Listen to me. That's exactly what the enemy has always been after, to take us out of that place of security. And so what's the very first thing that happens in Adam's life? His eyes are open, and he realized, we're naked. In other words, he's no longer covered by the glory of God. He now feels exposed before God. You listening to me? That's very interesting because you could trace this whole theme out through the scriptures. Wow, this is very different than last night. And you can see there's another individual that shows up on the scene thousands of years later who is an agent of Satan. His name is Goliath. And Goliath in the original language means exposer, shamer, slanderer. And what's he doing? He's standing on a battlefield He's taunting the armies of God. He's exposing the king for the coward that he is. He's exposing the whole nation of Israel as cowards. And then somebody, uh, a, a, a prefigure of the Lord Jesus Christ, shows up, steps out from the, from the rest of the army and says, I will destroy this uncircumcised Philistine. Why? Because he has defied the armies of the living God. He showed up to expose to slander, 
to make them feel completely naked and vulnerable before their enemy. And listen to me, church, that is the, that is the plan of the devil in your life to bring you to a place of shame, to bring you to a place of discontent, of frustration, so that you never, ever, ever lift that head up and walk the way Jesus Christ died on the cross for us to walk. You listening to me? Amen. So the next thing that shows up is fear. God says, Adam, where are you? Long story short, verse 10. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. So it tells us he was in the position to recognize the voice of God. Why? This isn't the first time God shows up. The scriptures seem to indicate that a certain part of every day, God showed up on the scene and they actually spoke face to face. They interacted with each other. And so here it is now. Adam is exposed. He's feeling shame. He's feeling regret. He's feeling guilt. He's feeling condemnation. Everything that Jesus came to eliminate of our lives. Amen? I heard, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. I guarantee you, when we get to heaven, I'm going to say, I'm going to, say to the Lord, Lord, can we get the, the playback, like the, what do you call that? The replay. Can we get on, on that scene there? Because I will guarantee you, I'll guarantee you, when the, when the word I was afraid came out of Adam's mouth, he would have went, because he never before said that word. There was nothing for him to be fearful of. And for the first time, mankind experiences fear. And what's the first thing? What's the first What's the knee-jerk reaction? And I hid myself. I hid myself. Why? Because I was afraid, because I was naked. Fear. Fear comes into play. That was never God's plan. It was never God's plan for man to experience fear. How do we know that? Because in the New Testament, it says, for God's not given us a spirit of fear. Come on, come on. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You entertain enough fear, you lose the soundness of mind. It was never God's plan. No longer is his identity completely wrapped up in God. Now he and his wife are more self-conscious than they are of God. Their sense of identity went from stability, from being secure in God's love, to fear, intimidation, and self-preservation. What do they do? They make coverings. They try, to, they try to now take the matter into their own hands. They make coverings. Instead of running to God for his mercy, for his grace to cover them, they try to cover themselves. Folks, this is the first religion. The first man's attempt to try to become good with God on their own terms instead of on God's terms. That's what religion is. It's a set of rules. It's a set of beliefs. It's a set of things you have to do in order to attain a specific relationship with that deity, okay? And it always requires sacrifice, always. So watch what happens now. They go from being completely dependent upon God to wanting to be independent from God, not to have to face up to the fact of what they did. Okay, again, we're talking about identity, and all these things show up in our identity when our identity is not tied to who God says we are, okay? Verse 11, and he said, who told you that you were naked? God speaking to Adam. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should eat? Oh, should not eat. Of course God knows what he did, but there comes a time when you and I have to fess up. We've got to say, I messed up, God. I'm sorry. I know you know this already. I know you knew this before you threw the stars into the universe that I was going to do this. But out of, out of love, out of respect, out of honor, I'm coming to tell you, I did this. I'm sorry. 
What does he do? Watch how man's identity has changed, has shifted in a matter of seconds. What's the next thing he does? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? And, what is, and the man said, This is the very first time in the history of mankind when one person threw the other person under the bus. You getting this? Look at this. Am I making this up? It's right here. And he said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave you the tree and I ate. But you ate, Adam. You ate. You didn't have to. You could have said, hey, what are you doing? God told us. What is he? Oh, yeah. Okay, dear. The woman, that, in, other words, in other words, what's he saying? What's he, he won't dare say this to God to his face, but what he's saying is, this is your fault. I was okay here with, with the zebras and with the... And then she shows up. I mean, come on, we're laughing about it, but this is the first time man shifts the blame. See what's happened to, see what's happened to identity? He blames the woman. He's really, he's blaming God. This is your fault. You brought this into my life. And then what does she do? Now, she's got enough sense not to throw the blame back at him. I would have said, if I was her, well, you ate it. <laughs> what does she do? Who does she blame? She blames the serpent. Here we go. Everybody's... everybody's shift blame and all over the everybody's like no not me i didn't know and and let me tell listen to me that oh my god is worse today than it ever has been because well yeah well you know i wouldn't be in this addiction if it wasn't for and i wouldn't have cheated if she would have and i wouldn't have and and uh, i wouldn't have gone and done this I and you know because you know my father wasn't there or my mother wasn't there don't don't say anything because you're going to give yourself away uh, it's because of my siblings it's because of my my high school team. it's my coach if he would have had more faith in me or you know it's my boss on the job if he would have just given me we're always shifting the blame and never taking the consequences or the responsibility. It goes all the way back to them. Am I talking right? Yeah. So what happens? It gets worse. It gets worse. Because this is the first time now in man's history, in the story of mankind, that a man officially identifies as a victim. You, you hear me? Let me tell you something, man. The devil played his cards good. Because I have seen this. I'm sure you have all throughout life. When a person starts to identify themselves as the victim, you very rarely are going to break them out of any of the conduct that's going on in their life. You can't. You can't. Think about it. A person, a person that's going through recovery, if they don't come to the conclusion, yeah, you know what? I'm, you know, life might have handed me uh, some challenges, but you know what? I don't have to allow that to keep... It doesn't have to keep affecting me. 
Yeah, maybe the fact is, maybe my, maybe my father was in prison. I didn't have a father the whole time I grew up. Yeah, that's true. You can't change that. But there comes a point in time when you go, but I'm going to take it from here. You listen to me? Yeah, well, you know, Pastor, you don't know say, you know, I, I grew up in a house where everybody was an alcoholic, drug addicts. Yeah, granted, I understand that. But don't you think God knew you were going to be raised? Don't you think God made provision for you? Don't you think there comes a time? And, and, and please, I hope I'm not stirring up any, any wounds here or pouring any salt into anybody's wounds. What I'm saying is there comes a time that if you really want to get free, you have to cut it. And you have to go, yeah, that's the truth. That took place. That's, but you know what? I'm taking it from this point forward. That's not going to affect my life. Pastor, you don't understand. I was molested when I was a child. I understand. I totally understand. Many of us, many of us have had things happen to us that we had no control over. But there comes a time that, especially when you come into a relationship with God Almighty, that you say, that's it. It happened. There's nothing like I can't change the past, but man, I sure can change the future. Amen. It's what are you going to identify yourself with? That's the bottom line in life. And, 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 and this is, oh man, I just realized this. This is the reason why Jesus said you must be born again. Because every human being has something that we could justify our conduct. Well, I drink because of, uh, I smoke because of, I'm fooling around because of. Every individual that I have ever had to counsel or, or even spoken to with a porn addiction, almost, almost 99% say this, when I was a child, I was exposed to. Yeah. But then there comes a point where you're not a child anymore. And granted, those pictures don't go away. I understand that. And granted, they can really give you a warped perspective of sexuality. But there comes a time when you go, okay, I recognize what this has done. I recognize this is the inroad that Satan used in my life. But you know what? I'm closing down that road. And you stop identifying with, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict, I'm a, porn, I'm a sex addict, I'm a this addict, I'm a gambling addict. You've got to get to the point where you go, okay, that was then, but now I'm born again. And Jesus said that i got to be born again because I need to be born once physically. I need to be born the second time spiritually. When you receive the new birth, you disconnect your identity from the kingdom of darkness and everything. You have the potential to. It's up to you if you do it. You can disconnect from your past and connect to your future, and you begin to identify. I love that phrase. I think it's in the book of Acts. Pastor Jerry, you might know exactly what I'm talking about, where it says, I think it's in Acts chapter 6. I'm not sure. It says in Antioch was where they first began to call themselves Christians. What happened? They grasped it. But these are all Jews. These are all people that are still in Judaism. They're, they're in the period between where the early church was completely Jewish, and now it's starting to become more Gentiles, more outsiders. And it says, and it was at Antioch, that they first began to call themselves Christians. What does that mean? They stopped identifying with the old past, 
and they started to connect with their Messiah who was bringing them into the new covenant. You listen? That's good. You need to disconnect from your old life and connect to the potential that your new life has. You listening to me? You listening to me? 2 Corinthians 5.17. I know it's not in my notes. Don't panic. I'll just quote it. If any man is in Christ, where's our identity? He, she is a new creation. Old things have passed away, disconnected. Behold, all things have become new, connected to the new, the Spirit of God. Jesus, the new covenant, the better covenant with new and better promises. Your life, whether you experience contentment or whether you experience frustration from this point on, is going to be because of how you identify yourself. Well, but pastor, you just don't understand. No, I don't understand. I got my own stuff to deal with. I don't understand, but he does. And there's a certain path that he has for you, even a specific path of recovery. No two individuals that are recovering from anything go through the same. There is no blanket program. It's all about connecting with your Savior. It's all about connecting with this new life that's brought to you through Christ. And then he, because he knows every detail about your life, he knows the things that are going to trigger you the wrong way. He knows the things that are going to incite you to do something spectacular. And so he takes you then very gently on this journey. It's specific to you. You can't accomplish mine. I can't accomplish yours. But listen to how much he loves us, that he gives us this specific, very intimate, custom-crafted plan of how he's going to get you, disconnected from the old identities and connected to that which he has for you in the future. You listening to me? Now, granted, this is just an introduction today. We're going to get into some really good stuff next week. So, so here's where we are right now. Most people, most people right now are just wandering around searching for something or someone to tell them who their identity is, who they are, where they belong, how they relate to this world. That's every, every person's on their journey. Every, from the time that a child can first put two words together, every one of us is on that journey. What am I doing here? That was the thing that plagued me for probably from the time I was, I would say, 15 until 27 when I finally, finally, thank God, uh, he sent people into my life to just snatch me out of the craziness because it got me to the point where I was having such horrible panic attacks, anxiety attacks. Uh, I couldn't speak in front of any, there's no way I would be able to do this. No way. You'd have to have buckets all over the front of the room. And that wouldn't, and nobody would want to sit in the front row of that. <laughs> because of the, of the anxiety, to the point where there's times I wouldn't want to go out of the house, there's times I wouldn't go to school. If I went to school, I wouldn't associate with anybody. Uh, just, 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 just totally, totally confused. Totally confused. And, and thank God, oh my gosh, thank God, that in his mercy and his grace, he put people in my life that knew how to relate to me in my craziness. Sometimes you gotta use crazy people to reach other crazy people. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so listen, so, so listen, let's start this now, because everything up until this point has been introduction, all right? Now, um, 
Let's go to Genesis chapter 20, to, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1. So this, this watch this now. This, you know the funny thing? Genesis chapter 1 comes before Genesis chapter 3. Tough today. So, so what I'm saying is this happens before Eve is tempted, before Adam is tempted. Watch this now. What are we talking about? We're talking about what? Identity. The title is DNA, our building block, the building blocks of who we are, all right? And those building blocks better be in the scriptures, okay? Or we're going to turn out weird, all right? Then God said, let us make man. Let's just stop right there. You, you hear what it says here? Let us make man. God doesn't have a multiple personality disorder. What you're seeing, listen to me, this is important. Because again, the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings, right? It's the book of beginnings. It's the beginning of precedences. And so what do we see here? God introduces himself in a plural form. What is that telling us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, hold on, to, hold on to that thought, right? Now, let me give it to you now. If he said, let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, make man in our image, then that means when we're walking in the trueness of our identity, is trueness a word? Yeah, it is, right? Okay. And when we're walking in that, that means in our personalities, in our nature, in our identity, there were going to be facets of the Father, facets of the Son, and facets of the Holy Ghost. Oh, my God. I never thought about that until service last night. I went, oh, this is so good. Because if you look at the attributes of the Father, you look at the attributes of the Son, you look at the attributes of the Holy Spirit, you're like, man, if I can get a little bit of each one, life's going to be an amazing adventure, right? Watch this now. So then God said, let us, Trinity, make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Let them. We're going to find out who the them is, okay? Let them have what? Dominion. dominion. Say it loud because this is the most important building block right here. Dominion. Let them have what? Dominion. Dominion comes from the Latin word dominus, which is a word that we today would say lordship. Wow. The very first thing he says about us, about our identity, is that we should have lordship. And now he's going to tell us what we're going to have lordship over. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth. Look at this, look at this, look at this. Over every what? That creeps on the... I think that was a prophetic warning right there. Because who's going to come into the garden very soon? Okay. Next verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Here's the them. Male and female, he created them. Now, that really went south. Because for thousands of years, women were treated like property. That wasn't God's will. God's telling us right here our identity. Equal. Equal. Maybe different in personalities, maybe different in character traits, but equal. There's never been this thing. A man is, uh, is superior to a woman, a woman is superior. No, that man did that. Man did that. Man, turn around to some woman and say, we're sorry. 
We're sorry. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. Oh, man. I just realized something. There, there, I'm not going to mention names, but there was a controversy a few years ago with a woman who teaches on TV. Phenomenal teacher of the word. Fantastic teacher of the word. And her denomination denounced her. They said, no, you can't do this. You're a woman. Did they not read the Bible? <laughs> this denomination is today. Today. 2022. Pentecostal denomination. Women can't pastor. Male and female, he created them. And what were they supposed to have? Dominion. Dominion, okay? None of that stuff came from God. None of that stuff, okay? God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Is that it? Oh, here it is. Fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it. Subdue it. Subdue it. Have dominion. Not exploit, but not put yourself under. Walk in what God has. Today, I think it started here in America, in the United States, but now it's affected the whole world, where nature is here, the animal kingdom is here, and mankind is here. No, mankind received dominion, received authority, received lordship to manage the resources of this earth. Have people exploited? Absolutely. But that's not how God planned it, okay? Let him have dominion of the fish of the sea, of the birds of the air, of every living thing that moves on the earth. Anything else? Is there another scripture? All right, I'll go back to my notes. So, so listen, listen, listen. We're talking about building blocks, building blocks, building blocks. Very first building block. We're created in his image and his likeness. And so we're supposed to operate like him on the earth. In order to operate as God on the earth, like God, not as God, like God, because you're not God no matter when, no matter how wonderful you are. But we're supposed to represent him on the earth. Okay, listen to me. This is, this is, this, what I'm about to say to you is something that we have a hard time with because of, especially being a Western Christian, especially in the United States. God is over a kingdom, not a democracy. And everybody's going, okay, where does this guy stand politically? Just hear me out. You and I are not used to kingdoms, although it's starting to happen. We're not used to kingdoms. We're used to having a say about everything. I'll never forget, classic story I tell. Years and years ago, when we did not own this building yet, we had this must, the, the, the sanctuary was up to where, that, where, that, where the screen is there and basically to here. And this was the center of the platform. And we had a hideous color in here, and we decided we were going to paint it something else. And uh, Don, where are you? I saw you back there, man. Uh, He knows where I'm going with this story. And so I don't know how it happened, but but we ended up painting. Now, mind you, we were sharing this room with the teenagers. And so we ended up picking out this orange sherbet color. You walked in here, and man, your eyes were open, like it says here. So this elderly couple make an appointment to come and talk to me. And I'm like, okay, what's this all about? 
We sit there, and they're sitting on the couch, and I'm at my desk. And they go, um, didn't you think to take a vote from the congregation when you painted the sanctuary? <laughs> I thought it was a joke. <laughs> I started laughing again. <laughs> they were serious. When I, it took me about 15 minutes to realize that they were serious. And I said, listen, honey, I don't know what church you came out of, but if I had to stop and take a vote every time we had to do something with this church, we wouldn't get anything done. See, that's the mentality. I have a say. I have a say. I have a say. My voice is important. You have a very hard time. If that's, if that's how you roll, you have a very hard time understanding the kingdom of God. Because when a king speaks, people are supposed to move. Yes or no? Yes. So, God creates us and puts us in this, this position of dominion. Now I'm going to explain something to, that's going to make sense to some of us here. He created us with a desire to rule and reign. That's not ungodly. What's ungodly is when we use that position to suppress others. You listening to me? Follow me here. This is why many of us identify in administration, organization, entrepreneurship, running businesses, producing. Why? God created us in his image and his likeness. The kingdom of God has never stagnated. The universe has never stagnated. Even science tells us that the universe is continually expanding. Why? Because it reflects the nature of God. If you have that within you, that there's only a few years of my life that I ever worked for another individual. I started my first business when I was 19 years old. I, I, I just, I, I, knew I, had, I knew this is something I was supposed to do. Went and worked for a guy, told him, don't pay me, just teach me what you do because I'm going about 40 miles away from here and going to do the same thing you do. You listening to me? That, that was very natural for me. My wife and I bought our first piece of property 20 years old. Right? I could take you to the house. It's right down here in this neighborhood here. When we first moved here from North Jersey, 1977. Bought the property in 1976. Actually, I just turned 20. I was 19 almost. By the time we closed on the property, I was 20. But the problem is, not the problem, the reason it happened is nobody in my family told me you can't do that. Because my family comes from that type of an entrepreneurial. You know, I, how many of you here come from an immigrant background? I'm talking about first generation. First generation. Come on, let me see your hands. Okay, do you understand what I mean, first generation? You're not, you were born here, but you come from an immigrant background. Okay. Thank God for the immigrant mentality. Now, listen to me. Thank God for the immigrant mentality. You can say, well, we're all immigrants. You know, the people came from England. Right. It's that immigrant mentality is what built this country and made this country the greatest country it's ever been. Okay? But I noticed something. When you get to the second, third, and fourth generation, I don't want to go in business. I'd rather have somebody else have the headaches. I'd rather just get my check at the end of the week, work my 40 hours. That's fine. But then don't complain when you see somebody else doing better. 
Wow, it gets so quiet when you talk about this kind of stuff. You must all be second, third, and fourth generation. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? Okay? Now, there are some of us, and I'm, I'm going I'm to have to stop here in a second. We'll pick up next week. There are some of us that have a different side to us, different bent. We love art. We love architecture. We love good music, beautiful music. We, we draw inspiration from those kind of things. Why? Well, what's the very first introduction of God the Father? In the beginning, God created. You're, you're designed in his image and his likeness. The people that you see on the platform here, you take them out from behind their instrument, they, they can't talk. They draw their sense of fulfillment and contentment. Hi, Ange. <laughs> Did you hear me talking about you? They draw. There's something that God placed in there. And honestly, it's in all of us. It's just that some of us develop it, nurture it, and some of us suppress it, and some of us, for whatever reason, maybe the family we're brought up and the people that we hang out with, we're drawn to different areas. But the thing that drives you on the inside to succeed, to operate in excellence, to impact other people's lives. There's some of us, some of us, business, administration, stuff like that doesn't turn us on. Artwork, eh. But we love to spend time with people who are hurting. Where does that come from? That's not the devil. That comes from God. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that Jesus was moved with compassion. And then the next thing you know, bam, crazy miracles are happening. Lepers are getting cleansed. The blind eyes are open. The deaf ears are opening. The cripples are walking. So when you have that sense of compassion, of pity for someone, when you're sensitive to other people's needs, don't suppress that. That's the identity that God is wanting to bring to the forefront in your personality. Now, we need the entrepreneurs. God knows during worship time, we need the ones who are gifted and talented in those things. And we need the compassion of Christ to flow through us. Amen. You listening to me? Yes. We'll talk some more about this next week. Now, listen to me, okay? The very first thing, some of you are sitting here going, yeah, my, my identity needs to change, man. I'm, I don't see myself like any of this. Well, well, let me just tell you, okay, your first step, if you have not yet, you need to make a public declaration of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's how you get born again. Why do I need to be born again? Because you need to disconnect from your past identity, and you need to connect with that God, what God has in front of you. <coughs> you understand what I'm saying? Listen to me. I, gotta, I have to finish. Okay. Um, thank you for being so cooperative and listening so closely this morning. But please, if there's any of you here today that have never taken that step, please, please, seriously consider making today the day that you disconnect from your old man, woman, and connect to the Spirit of God who desperately wants to live his life through you and guarantee you a place in heaven. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close. If anybody needs prayer for anything, when everyone is leaving, please come to the front. If you want to pray that prayer today, 
just, as a, just declaring your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please do that today. Amen? Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll pick up on this next week.